You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week. Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscana. I'm hosting today's program. Yes, it is a live show. Well, the rest of the world relies on pre-records and boring interviews from 2019. This is a live show. If you want to know anarchy is all about, hasn't changed, definitely hasn't changed, anarchists without rulers. What is the primary goal of anarchists? To create a society without Rulers, not without leaders, not without rules, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, which is a fancy word for saying share power, and you hold wealth in common. It's because of inequalities in power and wealth which create most of the human made disasters which we are seeing in the world today. Now, what we. St- Look, we may as well start off with the fires. And I'm going to bring a bit of hope into this discussion because there's a few things which have kind of, I found a bit funny. Now, look, I'm coming at this from personal experience, not from uh, an armchair uh, criticism or armchair analysis. Uh, I had a house which was... uh, severely damaged in fire in 1999 and uh, there was no compensation, there was no money, nobody knocked on our door. If we didn't have friends and insurance, it would have been a disaster. And even It took about a decade, even with insurance, to get over the uh, financial, let alone the economic woes. Also, I've also been involved in the 1974 floods in Brisbane when I was rescued from a second-storey... Uh, Building, so I, I do know about disasters, and during the last 10 days, I have been in the uh, fire zone in New South Wales at uh, Mount Kosciuszko and uh, uh, all those areas surrounding Mount Kosciuszko. So, when I make some comments, I'm making them not as an armchair uh, an a- analysis. Now, irrespective of whether you accept the science regarding climate change or the climate emergency or not. Reality is reality. And the reality is that over the last few years, we have seen major changes in the climate in this country. 
And these major changes are 100%, I won't say 99.9%, due to the fact of human activity on the planet. The fact that we are dominated by an economic system which is based on growth and profit irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. You can't argue against that. And if you don't believe that, that's fine. But it's the consequences that we talk about. Now, I noticed there at our incompetent, indecisive, elusive Prime Minister says, oh, it's all about helping the victims. Now, look, I don't believe in the concept of trying to brush up milk into a bottle after the bottle is broken. It seems that that's what they think this is all about. Now, I have been thinking about this for a number of years, not just in the last few years, and it's not because I'm concerned about Mr Dutton plunging his knife into the back of uh, an incompetent, indecisive Prime Minister. I can't even remember his name. He's so incompetent and indecisive, but that's a different matter. But I am concerned about this country's ability to actually have institutions in place to deal with the increasing disasters that will happen in Australia. Very simple. Because if we look at the response that we've seen, it's been based on volunteers. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, that response sometimes isn't enough, especially if the volunteer... Uh, resources aren't, haven't got the resources at their disposable deal with this. We've seen the introduction of the Army Reserve in the Army to uh, help to alleviate the situation. And we've seen a number of organisations, and in many regards at uh, odds with each other, trying to deal with the issue. And now we've seen a piecemeal response. Now, what I think and whether I th- what I think doesn't really matter, but it's the ideas that matter. What I think what we need is disaster response centres, which are there, ready to be mobilised when a disaster strikes, whether it's a fire, whether it's a, t- a tsunami, whether it's a cyclone, whether it's a uh, you know, human-caused uh, disaster but a disaster response centres. And I think what we should have in this country, because it's a large country with a very small population, you know, less than 10, around 25 million, large country, it's a continent, 25 million people. And I think what we should have is not this disjointed response which we attempt to raise every time a disaster occurs, but if you've got 50, F-I-F-T-Y, 50 disaster response centres established across the country. It would cost about $100 million, which is $5 billion, to establish these disaster response centres, which would have some personnel and would have equipment there ready to be deployed in cases of in, in, in disasters. Now, how would you fund this? Everybody says, how would you fund this? Now, I've got a very simple way of funding it. Now, remember all those nice taxes that go into franking credits to assist all those people who own shares? Well, a way around this is to actually impose a 1% 
stock market transaction tax on every stock and share which is bought and sold on the Australian stock market. You could raise between 20 to $50 billion per year by introducing a 1% stock market uh, tax. Every time uh, a um, stock or share is bought and sold, Now, $5 billion of that would basically go to maintaining these disaster response centres ready to respond to disasters in conjunction with all the established uh, organisations which are around today, both at the state and federal level and local level, to deal with disasters. As well as provide ongoing resources anywhere between 15 to 35 to 40 billion dollars per year in a special fund which is then used to try to address the damage that has been caused by a disaster because not everybody is insured because insurance can be quite expensive in a in a significant number of cases And more importantly, 80% of Australians who are insured are underinsured and many people who lose homes and livelihoods are never able to rebuild back on that land. They can't rebuild back on that land because they don't actually have the resources, irrespective of the so-called interest-free government loans, which have to be paid at some time, which the government, the federal government, is currently talking about. So would it make sense that you'd have something in place to catch the bottle as it falls before it hits the ground and breaks and spills all the milk? It's not a huge ask. Because disasters don't care if you're left or right, if you're an anarchist or a fascist. They don't care. They don't care if you're black or white. Fires don't care. That's one thing about a fire and a cyclone. They are discrimination three. Although the poor always suffer more than the rich in these situations because the rich have the resources to protect themselves at a greater level than those who are living a hand-to-mouth existence, which is over 30% of Australians on a day-to-day basis who don't even have the resources, you know, 200 bucks in the bank to address an emergency. Now, the other thing that's been playing on my mind over the last 10 days or so since, uh, you know, the, the major fires have occurred, although fires have been occurring and some significant fires since September last year. That's right, spring, beginning of spring, not even summer. And let's not forget we've got another two months to go of this as far as fires are concerned and obviously as far as cyclones are concerned in uh, North, North Australia. So what are we going to do? Are we going to forget the lessons of 2009 and the lessons of... Uh, 1983 and the lessons of 1939 and forget that the uh, climate is changing. There are impacts and there will be continued impacts 
and we don't actually have the resources in place to deal with this situation because you know, we've got governments and people, the Australian people themselves, let's not, not just blame governments, let's just blame the Australian people themselves who somehow think, and this I found quite funny, that the current fires are a result of the Greenies. And I've been amazed, I mean, travelling through these areas, I've been amazed at the number of people who somehow think that a green policies and the so-called Greenies, you know, the new terrorists, are somehow responsible for all these fires because they didn't want backburning to occur. It just goes on and on. I mean, the, 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 the rationalisations in the community, which is fanned along by social media and a legacy media, which is more interested in maintaining the status quo and denying reality than actually facing reality. So this is a small contribution to the debate. A very small contribution can be funded tomorrow. You can pass legislation through the federal parliament tomorrow to establish 50 disaster response centres. $100 million each to get them running and staffed. And at the same time, introduce a 1% stock market turnover tax. Every time you buy or sell a share, 1% automatically goes to the Federal Treasury. The 25 to 40 possibly $50 billion a year which would be raised by such a tax would not only fund disaster response centres, not only provide the most up-to-date equipment and the necessary Uh, infrastructure to liaison with other agencies at a state level, but it would also provide a pool of money which could be used to assist people who are victims of disasters, whether it's the collapse of a dam, whether it's, you know, somebody going crazy with a gun, as we saw in New Zealand a few months ago, whether it's fires that never stop burning, whether it's floods. I mean, the states and the territories will be required to provide the land for these disaster response centres. The federal government, through the imposition of a 1% stock market turnover tax, would actually provide the funding and the infrastructure via which disasters in every corner of this continent and the islands surrounding this continent could be addressed in a very uh, rapid way, not just in terms of trying to minimise damage, but in terms of actually... Rebuilding. Simple concept. Nothing radical about it. I shouldn't be talking about this on the Anarchist World this week. This is the type of thing that we should be speaking about. We shouldn't be trying to sweep milk, you know, spilt milk off the ground. Doesn't taste very good at the best of times. As I said before, disaster response centres, 50 
It's a matter of political will. It's not a matter of whether it can be done or not. It's a matter of political will. And now is the time that people like you and me should be putting this idea into the public arena. It should be discussed. We should be raising it as a mechanism via which to address the issues that are going to be raised over and over again as a result of the climate emergency we find ourselves in. Whether you accept the science or not doesn't really matter. What matters is the fact that what is happening on the ground now and what is happening in uh, you know with reg- regular regularity much more regular so think about it it's an idea most likely it'll get nowhere but at least it's been floated it can be it can it can be established within 3 months parliament resumes in a month or so put in the legislation pass the legislation, introduce the 1% stock market turnover tax. You know, if people are going to whinge about this tax, let's not forget it's people who own stocks and shares who uh, usually profit from disasters as, uh, you know, stocks and shares go up because there's going to be a reconstruction phase uh, down the track. And let's not forget that uh, when uh, these this news kind of uh, dies down and other things happen in the world to take our uh, eyes and ears off what's happening, Uh, let's not forget that uh, it takes a very, 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 very long time to get back on your feet. And if you haven't got insurance or the insurance companies don't cough up, or if you're underinsured, and I'm talking about 80% of people who are now victims will be underinsured or or will have no insurance, uh, it can be a lifelong setback can take decades to overcome because see the thing i noticed when uh, my house was uh, severely damaged in uh, in a fire in 1999 well the thing i noticed is obviously that you know nobody really cared apart from you know your kin and folk and friends i mean there was no government agency knocking on the door and saying you need a bit of assistance the bank didn't ring up and say um are we going to suspend? We're going to suspend your mortgage repayments and suspend interest on your mortgage for the next say year till you get back on your feet and uh, you rebuild. I mean, the rates still kept coming in. Everybody wanted their uh, pound of flesh, and it's the same now with those people who have had losses, whether they've lost their homes completely or partially lost their homes. There are those people who have lost their livelihoods completely because they're part of the tourist trade or there are work people or tradespeople who cannot ply their work. There are factories that have closed down. But the bills still keep coming. I mean, I had to laugh when I saw that Westpac and the ANZ Bank and a few other other the big banks, NAB and all of them, are donating $2 million or $1 million towards the bushfire relief appeal. Well, the best thing these banks can do is actually suspend mortgage repayments and suspend interest repayments on any homes that have been burnt to the ground. Because the reality in Australia is, unlike the United States of America, where if you can't pay your mortgage, 
you leave your key on the kitchen bench and piss off and they can't chase you. The only thing is Australia, whether your house burns down or not, if you can't pay your mortgage, you will be chased by that financial institution till you declare bankruptcy because they want their pound of flesh. So why isn't the discussion not about charity, people donating money, rich people donating lots of money and, you know, big nutting themselves. Why isn't the discussion about why aren't we in a position where corporate Australia, especially those people who make a buck out of other people, actually suspend payments for a year or two or three until people get back on their feet? Why isn't the discussion about that? I mean... Because they've donated two a million dollars or two million dollars, does that mean they're good corporate citizens and we forget how they're going to hound and chase people who can't repay mortgages because they can't work currently? So let's extend this pathetic debate surrounding the current disaster. Let's extend this debate about how people can be supported in real terms not, you know, with charity. People donating a million dollars here and a million dollars there or raising a hundred million dollars. This is this is an issue that involves governments, especially federal governments. And obviously the most disappointing aspect of this whole disaster has been the federal government's incompetence especially in the early phases and it's an ability to grasp what was happening and once again we have seen the incompetence of the current prime minister a man is more interested in advertising than actually providing leadership in a period of disaster for an increasing number of people. This is not a one-off. Maybe the summer is finished. Maybe we'll get some rain because of the cyclonic activity which is occurring in in the north of Australia with floods in Indonesia. But the reality is disasters will continue to occur with monotonous regularity and unless we as a nation are prepared to deal with these disasters through what I describe as uh, disaster response centres which are established as quickly as possible which are there ready to act ready to coordinate local uh, local uh, institutions that deal with these situations which can provide the resources necessary to protect people, we will continue to find ourselves in the same situation Victoria found itself in 2009 and the rest of the country continues to find itself in in 2020. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. You can contact me on 0439 395 489. Leave a message and I'll get back to you in the next day or two. 0439 395 489. 
You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. That's right. Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public, Joseph Toscano. Public housing, everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. Uh, YouTube channel. Public interest before corporate interest. Uh, Twitter stream, pipsy underscore au. Okay. So if you are interested in uh, discussing these ideas, I suggest that you consider joining public interest before corporate interests, a radical organisation which is based on the idea of putting the interests of the many before the interests of the few, a very radical idea in 2020 Australia where the uh, interests of the few dominate everything, including the bushfire response. So public interest before corporate interest currently has 403 members on the Australian electoral roll. We need 550 members on the Australian electoral roll to be registered as a federal, to apply for registration as a federal political party. I mean, uh, it's 2020. If you made a New Year's resolution to do something, join public interest before corporate interest. Very simple process. Download the application form from PIBC. P-I-B-C-I dot net. Not computer literate? Leave a message on 0439 395 489 with a contact uh, mailing address and we will post you out an application form for public interest before corporates. Because remember, they don't really care what you think. They don't care what you listen to. They don't care how many protests you go to. All they care about, the major political parties and those in power, is their homogeny, fancy word, their grip on power being actually unloosened or loosened by people who are no longer willing to listen to them and who will vote in another direction. It's not that, it's, it's not that voting changes things radically, but what it does, it puts them on notice. They can deal with demonstrations. They can deal with negative media comment. But when it comes to election day, they can't deal with significant numbers of people turning their backs on them. So this is the reason for public interest before corporate interests. So if you're going to do something in 2020 and you've been thinking about joining public interest before corporate interests, this is the year we'd like to apply for registration as a federal political party. We've done 147 members on the... Uh, Australian Electoral Roll, the Commonwealth Electoral Roll, join today. You can go to the website, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Now, those of you who listened to the uh, program last week, the pre-recorded program last week, would have known about the Tanaminaway Mulborhina now. Since 2004, it's, it's an interesting story, and since 2000, well, in 2002... In 2002, uh, when I was uh, writing the Anarchist Age Weekly Review, I used to review an interesting book every year. And the best way to get an interesting book when uh, nobody sends you books to review is to go to a second-hand bookshop. And I stumbled on this uh, book called Jack of Cape Grimm, and it had been written in uh, 1988 as a bicentenary project. And it looked at the story of Tanaminoe and Mulborhina, Put here on a planabina, 
and Truganini, five Tasmanian Indigenous people who were brought across to New South Wales and uh, the mayhem they caused uh, around Melbourne in 1841 and the execution of Tanaminawaya Mulboyhina on the uh, 20th of January 1842 for having the audacity to resist uh, white colonisation and the destruction of Indigenous people. And it was a story that nobody was familiar with. I couldn't find one person who was familiar with the story. And over a 16-year period, uh, my late wife, Ellen Jose, and myself, uh, in 2004, we formed the Tanaminawaya Mulbohina Commemoration Committee, and I think the first commemoration in 2004, I think about 11 of us turned up in the 40-degree heat at the corner of uh, Franklin and Victoria Street, the site at where they were executed to mark the day. And over the next uh, 12 years, we uh, were involved in a long-running campaign um, with the help of uh, radical elements of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community uh, that uh, finally led the Melbourne City Council, which was then led by the uh, Lord Mayor, Mr Robert Doyle, uh, to establish the Tanaminawai Mulbohine Monument at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in late 2016. We had a lot of help from the Green councillors, especially Councillor Kathy Oak uh, from the Melbourne City Council, who uh, raised the issue in the council. And over a period of time, we just uh, we, you know, chipped away at the uh, resistance, and uh, that struggle led to the establishment of one of the most significant if not the only significant uh, monument in a major capital city in this country to the Frontier Wars, which began in 1788 and which have still haven't concluded. So the 20th of January, we hold a ceremony at the site Tanaminawai and Mulbohina were hung at the site of the Tanaminawai Mulbohina uh, monument at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne. Uh, although there's a huge uh, construction next to the uh, site. It's in, uh, diametrically opposite the old Melbourne jail. You can't miss it. And if you can't make it to the uh, monument, uh, if you can't make it to the ceremony on the 20th of January, the ceremony will start at uh, midday. If you can't make it to the ceremony, I encourage you, especially if you've got young children, to uh, come along, or even teenage kids, come along any time during the week or any weekday, any weekend, and uh, pay your respects at the monument. Because the 20th of January, to me, is an exceptionally important day. Because it highlights the colonisers' response to the resistance to white colonisation which occurred across this continent and the islands surrounding this continent. A resistance which continues today because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have never... Uh, have never uh, renounced their sovereign rights to their traditional lands. So to me, the 20th of January is really an exceptionally important day because it um, highlights the deaths of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men, women and children who died directly and indirectly as a result of colonisation, who continue to suffer the effects of colonisation, despite colonisation occurring over 
beginning over 200 years ago. So to me, the 20th of January is National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. I mean, we've got Anzac Day when we remember people who, Australians who died fighting other people's wars overseas. And to me, the 20th of January is a day which acknowledges all those men and women who died in that ongoing struggle, acknowledges their existence, acknowledges their resistance, acknowledges the fact that they've never ceded their sovereign rights to the lands on which some of them had lived for over 60,000 years. I mean, the 26th of January, uh, the uh, day a penal colony was established at uh, Botany Bay in New South Wales is just that. The beginning of the colonisation process and the day a penal colony was established. There's nothing really great about it. And I know there's a huge debate which, you know, about whether we sh- it should be Australia Day or not. Well, I don't care about that. To me, the 26th of January doesn't exist. It's an irrelevant day. It's irrelevant. Just turn your back on it. Turn your back on it, you know. To me, the 20th of January is a significant day. It's a significant day of remembrance. It's a significant day of commemoration. And I ask you, not implore, ask, that you come and join us at midday on the 20th of January at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne. It doesn't matter where you live in Australia. Come and join us at midday, 12 to 1. We'll have a number of speakers, including obviously a number of uh, Indigenous speakers on the day. And then at 1pm, we will walk about a kilometre, a kilometre and a half to the old Victoria markets, to the site of where we believe, well, where we think, not believe. I don't believe anything, I think where Tanaminawai and Mulbohina are buried at the under, under the old Victoria markets, where there's thousands of people buried there. So come and join us Monday, 20th of January, midday. 1pm, walk with us, silent march as a commemoration down to the Queen Victoria markets to the site of their uh, burials. Uh, bring along Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags with you bring along flowers to lay at the site of where they were buried. So it is a day for me. I mean, I have a number of important days in my life, you know. I mean, I'm a great believer in remembering because if you you don't remember the past, you can't understand the present or change the future. It's the past which is a window on the present which gives us a lead on how to change the future, how to create that new world in our hearts. And to me, there are important days in the Australian calendar. They may not be important in other parts of the world, but they're important as far as we are concerned. And the first of those days every year is the 20th of January. That's right, the 20th of January, the day of the execution of Tanaminawe and Mulbohina. It's not just about Tanaminawe and Mulbohina being executed on the day the reason why they were executed and the fact that this was the colonial authority's response, only response to colonisation was murder, dispossession, 
rape. And the list goes on and on. So join us. It's a day of commemoration. It's a day of remembering. It's a day which acts as a springboard for the rest of the year. We've got the 1st of May. We've got the uh, 3rd of June. We've got the 3rd of December. There's a number of other days that uh, we look at, which we as radical activists think are significant, which we mark in this country. So join us this Monday, Monday, the 20th of January, midday, the corner of Franklin and Victoria Street in Melbourne for the Tanaminaway Melbourne commemoration. All right, let's move on. Now... Now, people know that I'm the convener of the uh, West Papuan Independence Movement Rent Collective. And the one purpose of the Rent Collective is to provide an office to West Papuan activists and supporters to highlight the struggle for independence. And last year was a particularly difficult time for West Papuans in West Papua. And let's not forget West Papua is less than 74 kilometres from the Australian mainland. And let's not forget that the West Papuan struggle has been totally marginalised and ignored by the government and the Labor opposition. Let's not forget that. I still remember a few years ago when uh, a member of Victorian Senate, I think at that stage he was a member for the Democratic Labor Party, the DLP, and uh, I remember that a activist, a West Papuan activist, uh, uh, an Australian woman in her 50s who had been killed in a bicycle accident, accident, bicycle accident. and uh, the Victorian Senator raised a condolence motion in Parliament, in the Senate, which mentioned the fact that many of the activities she was involved in, one of the activities she was involved in was being a you know, West Papuan uh, activist. And both the Liberal National Party government and the Labor opposition combined to vote down the condolence motion, unless the word West Papua was removed from the condolence motion. Obviously, the senator refused to remove the the word West Papua from the condolence motion because West Papuan activism was an important part of this uh, woman's life. It highlights the extent to which the Australian government, which successive Australian governments have been involved in uh, arming and training some of the most brutal military units in the Indonesian Armed Forces to continue to deal with with a separatist movement in West Papua which continues to be involved in both political and armed struggle over 60 years since West Papua was integrated in inverted commas in an act of so-called free choice into Indonesia. Now, just to highlight how concerned the West, the Indonesian government is 
about the role of the West Papua independence movement and offices like this one in Melbourne, which is one of the few West Papua offices in the world, which is mainly involved in activity to have the issue of West Papua independence raised in the United Nations Decolonisation um, Committee. But I was interested to see that uh, just before uh, Christmas that that a Polish national, a Polish tourist, and I, I hate, I'm sure I've mispronounced his name, Jacob, J-A-K-U-B-S-K-R-Z-Y-P-S-K-R, um, who was arrested in August 2018 in Waimaima province in West Papua, who had been arrested because he was accused of trying to make contact with separatist elements in West Papua. The Papuan student, Simon Magai, a West Papuan student, who attempted to, uh, who is alleged, uh, communicated with this gentleman on Facebook and uh, tried to assist him to meet some separatist uh, uh, supporters in West Papua, was jailed for four years, and Jacob was jailed for five years. Now, the interesting thing is that the prison sentence was appealed in the Indonesian Supreme Court. And so what did the Indonesian Supreme Court did? They not only upheld the conviction... They added two years to his prison sentence. So there's one thing the Indonesian government hates is the West Papuan issue having international attention because it highlights the brutality of their occupation. So if you really, really want to assist the West Papua independence movement, not just in this country but around the world in West Papua, and get under the skin of the uh, federal government, the Labor opposition, the Indonesian government, the list goes on and on. Well, I implore you to become a member of the West Papua independence movement rent collective. Now, you can do it anonymously if you wish. Now, if you want to uh, learn about how to become a member of the West Papua independence movement rent collective, and it's a dollar a day, $366 this year it's, it has its a leap year. You can pay monthly. You can pay daily if you want to. You can pay yearly. Give us a call. Leave, leave, leave a phone number on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. I'll get back to you. Or you can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Or you can email us at com. Let's not forget, this is a continuing struggle which will continue in 2020 because the, uh, the central Indonesian government is losing grip on much of the Indonesian archipelago. Archipelago has its uh, burgeoning population is buffeted by an increasing number of natural disasters and uh, we are seeing that country, the rise of uh, fundamentalism. So 
another great way to get involved. You don't have to go anywhere. Just a matter of uh, donating a bit of cash. Not tax deductible, obviously, but uh, it's all up to you. Let's move on. Now, there are some stupid people in the world, and some of them are even presidents of country. Some of them are even prime ministers, <laughs> but that's a different matter. Oh, look, before I get on to that, I just got to... I'm really getting I'm really getting annoyed. Language is beginning to annoy me. I think I've reached that age where I just can't let things go. I mean, you all know about my thing about social security benefits and not using the word welfare in any way. But the latest thing which is really crapping me off, and it should be crapping you off, is everybody talks about the Morrison government, even the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. The Morrison government. It is not the Morrison government. Mr Morrison, that indecisive, incompetent Prime Minister, does not own the government. It is the Australian government. The Prime Minister is not elected by the people, though the people think, in many regards, they elect the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister is elected by the political party, which has a majority in both Houses of Parliament. And currently, it's the Liberal Coalition of the Liberal National Party. And not even the National Party actually elects the Prime Minister. They elect the Deputy Prime Minister. So it's only the Liberal Party which elects Mr Morrison as their Prime Minister. And as I understand, I've had a few phone calls from, from Liberal Party faithfuls who like to leak a bit of material, that Mr Dutton, the you know, the Prime Minister in waiting, is sharpening the knife he actually dug into Malcolm Turnbull's back. He's sharpening the knife, and I expect in six to nine months there'll be a leadership challenge to Mr Morrison, who's been mortally wounded by his inability to comprehend the extent of the natural disaster or human-made disaster which we are currently facing as a nation. So it is not the Morrison government. It is the Australian government. It is not welfare, it is social security. It's not, you know, franking credits, it's corporate welfare. Let's call a spade a spade. Now, as I said before, there's a lot of stupid people in the world and some of these stupid people are under a bit of pressure. Now, Mr Trump, all right, I used to call him the groper, but I'm not, I'm not going to even, I mean, gropers aren't. Never done what he's done. Now, Mr. Trump, the President of the United States of America, elected by the people of the United States of America, is their problem, not mine. But it becomes my problem when he kind of uh, drags us into things. Now, Mr. Trump was involved in making a decision, a personal decision, which led to the murder, and let's not use the word assassination, as I said, Words are very important. Of Mr. Qasem Soleimani and Abdul Mahadi El Mahandas. These two men, who were part of the Iranian military, uh, the Soleimani was the commander of the AQUAD's fort force a special guard within the Revolutionary Guards in Iran. And Mr 
Abu Mahadi Al Mohandas. He was the deputy head of the Popular Mobilisation Authority in Iran. Now these are government players. These are not, you know, loose cannons who don't actually have a state apparatus from which to work from. These are government players. Now, Mr Trump and his advisers decided it was about time that this person, the other one was collateral damage, obviously, was sent to another planet, okay? So drone strike, bang, man dead. And they thought, this is the end of it. This is the end of it. This is how stupid these people are. Not realising the consequences, not just in the Middle East, but in the rest of the world, regarding this state terrorist act. Now, the United States of America under previous presidents has been responsible for multiple political assassinations. Multiple political assassinations. You know, talking about Che Guevara... Mumbaba in Congo and the list goes on and on. Multiple political assassinations. They didn't get on their high horse and said, we did it and we're proud of it and if you, you know, if there's any vengeance, we're going to come back at you ten times fold. Now, so why has Mr Trump... Now, Mr Trump is not stupid. You don't become a multi-billionaire and President of the United States if you're stupid, okay? Now, Mr Trump is currently facing impeachment proceedings in the Senate. Mr Bolt, or is it Bolton, his former security advisor, made a decision to testify against him in the Senate if he's called as a witness. Now, currently, the United States Senate is attempting to block any witnesses being called in the trial of Mr Trump, the impeachment trial in the United States Senate. So what does Mr Trump need? He needs a diversion. He needs a diversion to take the American people's eyes away from the impending impeachment trial. Now, the murder of Soleimani, the State Terrorist Act carried out by the United States of America... Right, was not designed to eliminate somebody who's involved, who's going to be involved in um, major terrorist activity against the United States government over the next few years. It was solely designed to get the American people behind a president who's got rid of a bad guy. This is the way they think: good guys, bad guys. You know. But what Mr Trump failed to understand and what his team of advisers have failed to understand is the huge implications in the Middle East and for the world regarding this assassination, regarding this murder. Because it's one thing to do it secretly. It's another thing to boast about it. So I am concerned. And you should be concerned. Because who knows where this little exercise in diversion will lead to. I mean, Trump is looking at being re-elected at the end of uh, November when the uh, United States elections are concerned. So it's all about the elections. It's all about 
taking people's eyes off the impeachment proceedings. So when you think about political Machiavelli, this is a classical case of Machiavellian politics. But the unintended consequences are so huge, they affect each and every one of us, especially Australia, which still has over 350 uh, um, armed force personnel in uh, Iraq and another 2,000 Australian support staff in the region. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We're back. The Anarchist World this week is back. I'm back. Radical activism is back on the agenda. Because to create that new world in our hearts, we need to keep hope alive. And what is hope? Hope is the love child of desire and expectation. The desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. Now, if I didn't have any hope, I wouldn't be wasting my time here on the Anarchist World this week. I wouldn't be. Change is possible. Radical change is not only possible, it's needed. And it's more needed in 2020 than it was in 2019. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Phone number 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Yes, we do answer letters. More likely to answer a letter than an email, to be honest. Email anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. Twitter stream, pibci, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U. Want to join public interest before corporate interest? Download the application form, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Now's the time to join public interest before corporate interest. 403 members on the Australian electoral roll. As I said before, all they're frightened about is how you're going to vote. And if you vote for a radical outfit, who knows what could happen in 2020. Pipsy.net. Facebook pages. Joseph Toscana. No, you will not find out the colour of my underpants. They're usually black. When you get old, you usually wear black underpants for obvious reasons. Um, You can... uh, 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 Public interest before corporate interest. Pipsy.net. Facebook page. What else? Uh, Defend and extend public housing. Public housing, everybody's business. You name it, we have it. We've got every platform available. Not that it does much. What's important is seeing your face. See you on the 20th of January. Listening to the broadcast next week via your local community radio station. Thank you for all those wonderful people at the Community Radio Network who ensure that the Anarchist World this week is broadcast across Australia every week, year in, year out. This is our 43rd year on the airways. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday, 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.